Earlier this week, I got an email from uh, Susie Jones talking about the fact that her son, R.C., had made a commercial. And so Kathy and I you know, got an opportunity to check out this commercial that he had on, on, uh, on the web, and it was pretty cool. But while we were watching, I couldn't help but see in R.C. his dad. You know how sometimes we look at people's kids and we can just very clearly see that they bear the resemblance of their father or their mother or their family. Well, this morning as we take a look at God's Word, that's really what we want. We want to, especially this time, bear resemblance to our Father. Bear resemblance to Jesus Christ. That that we sound like Him. We act like Him. In Isaiah chapter 61, as Jesus began his, his ministry there in Nazareth, we had an opportunity when I was in Israel last week to go to this place. And in the synagogue there in Nazareth, he was handed a scroll and he began to read. He shared. And from that scroll, it says, he found the place where Isaiah 61 was and he began to read. Isaiah chapter 61 is a proclamation of the coming of the Messiah and what the Messiah would do. Oh, you're familiar with the verse? To heal the brokenhearted? To set the captives free? To give them beauty for ashes, oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness? This was the work of Messiah. This is what Jesus came to do. And that's what we've come to do. If we are going to bear the resemblance of our Father, if we're going to do as Jesus said. Remember when Jesus began his ministry, he said, oh, any of you who would come after me, he must do what? What's the first thing we got to do? Deny yourself. Second thing, take up a cross. And follow me. So that when we speak, are people hearing the words of Jesus Christ flowing through us? When we go through our day, are we going through that day with that same, the same joy, that same excitement, the, the beauty that we see in Christ? You know, one of the cool things about Jesus is I never one time hear him having a bad day, being tired, somebody coming up wanting healed. Oh, are you kidding me? Pestering me for healing all the time. You never hear that. In fact, people who came to Jesus who no one else wanted to have anything to do with, nobody wanted to talk to, nobody wanted to touch, what did Jesus do? He talked and touched. He said, I I haven't come for those who are well. He said, I've come for those who are sick. And this time of year, like any other, other, our, our hearts, our minds can be tuned in to that frequency that says, man, I, I want to have that heart. I want to have that heart to fulfill what the angels screamed from the heavens when, when Christ was born. Peace and goodwill toward men. Jesus said, they're going to know you're my disciples because of your ability to espouse the doctrine you believe, right? He said, they're going to know you're my disciples because of the suit and tie you wear. Or the flip-flops and (laughs) tie-dye. They said, you'll know you're my disciples. They'll know you're my disciples 
by the way you love each other. This morning as we take a look at Galatians chapter 6, what Paul is wrapping up everything he's been talking about in the book of Galatians. He's going to completely finish his thought. And what he's been saying all the way through the book of Galatians is, people often try to do the impossible. And that is to change the nature within man. But you can't change it. The nature in man is despicable and wicked. There's no changing it. Nowhere nowhere is there a way that we're going to be able to have enough rules or regulations or, or concepts so that we can finally be good enough. No, what do we do? We come to Christ and we become a new creation. Amen. Created in Christ Jesus. We discover the freedom that we never had anywhere else. We find that freedom in Christ Jesus, in our relationship with Him. We can't change. I can't make myself better. But what I can do is press into the Lord Jesus Christ and bear in my body the marks of Jesus. To bear in me that I look like my Father. I have a family resemblance. That's what we want. That's what we want to discover. So as as Paul's been putting this concept together, as he's been helping us understand that legalism tries to do the impossible, and the only thing that can change us is the grace of God, he comes to the end of the book of Galatians, chapter 5 and 6, and he gives us practical application. Okay, here's what you're going to do about it. Here's how you're going to make this work. First thing that he laid out for us is we have to realize that we're free in Christ. I'm free. I'm no longer under the guilt of sin. The number one problem that people have is dealing with past guilt. There are the whole pile of, of psychologists and psychiatrists that make their living on helping people deal with their past guilt. But here in Christ, I'm set free. I'm not under condemnation for how I fall short for Jesus Christ bore that price for me. And that freedom compels me. It compels me to live for Christ. The next thing he tells us, I have someone within me. I can't change me by myself, but Jesus Christ puts his spirit within me, and his spirit within me bears fruit. You remember last week we talked about it, right? The works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit. So we're supposed to be fruiting, not working. So often we spend a lot of time working, right? Working for this, working for that. The Bible says that we just need to press into the Spirit, and the Spirit will bring forth fruit in our life. But we have to surrender to the Spirit. We can continue to work in the flesh, right? Or we can surrender in the Spirit and allow the fruit of the Spirit to pour through our life, which is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, self-control. Which one of those things don't you want in your life? So we want that fruit pouring through us. So because of what Jesus does in setting us free, because of the, what the Holy Spirit does when we surrender our will to His, not mine, His will be done in my life, the next thing is we have to learn to be focused on others. That's where people trip. That's what, you know, we're pretty, I don't care what nobody says. The people, especially in the United States of America, do not have a problem with self-worth. 
Except for the fact that we might value self a little too much. We become so focused on self. What are we doing for other people? Where is the beauty of the example that Christ gave? Always giving himself. Always being focused on the needs of others. Here, let's put it in, in focus. Remember the disciples? When they all got together, there, it, was, it was on that night that Jesus was going to be betrayed. And they were having this big meal. And what were the disciples focused on? I'm better than you. Nah, Jesus likes me more than he likes you. Peter look over at John and say, John, I know you think that Jesus loves you. I heard you say that. You're the one beloved of the Lord. But I just want you to know, he loves me more. Isn't that what they were doing? John chapter 13, didn't that tell us? They were arguing about who was the greatest. Meanwhile, underneath the table, 24 smelly feet. What did Jesus do? He got up, walked over to the door, grabbed that basin of water that they were to wash their feet with when they came in, but nobody would stoop so low as to wash the feet of everyone coming in. That's the lowest position of all. So Jesus grabbed the towel there and wrapped it around his waist and he took that basin and he went to each one of the disciples and he washed their feet. Not self-focus, others. And then he said this, don't miss this. Blessed are you if you do this. You know, blessed means, oh, how happy. Oh, how happy you will be when you learn To serve others rather than self. The lesson that Jesus was laying out for them in that place. As we take a look at Galatians chapter 6, hear it. Recognize it. Realize it. Because he's going to begin by telling us what does it mean to walk in the Spirit. Here, let's, let's back up to verse 25. He says, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Walk is different than talk, right? Anybody can say anything they want. But the walk shows the reality. Walk step by step with the Spirit. Walk. Let your manner of life be focused on the Spirit. Let your your concept, everything that you're about, focused on that growth. What happens when we walk in the Spirit? Listen, we have a life of purpose and we have a life of progress. We have a reason for being... And we should constantly be growing. Listen, the Christian life is like an uphill walk. If you stop, you're falling back. You got to keep moving forward. Progressing. Walk. Walk in the Spirit. If we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. And let us not become conceited. Let us not become self-focused. Let us not put our eyes on self so much that that's all we see. I, 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 I. That's way too many eyes. Way too many eyes. We need to become others-focused, like Christ. Not becoming conceited, provoking one another, or envying one another. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. He's going to give us three things that, that kind of 
help us visualize walking in the Spirit and how that works. He's going to talk about how you care, what you'll bear, and how you share. He says, first, how do you care? Listen, brethren, if a man is overtaken, that word in the Greek for overtaken, it's a, it's a word picture like this. Picture yourself as a deer and there's a wolf coming for you. And you are running for all your worth. But that wolf, he just faster. He got the jump on you. And you see that wolf pull that deer down, drag that deer down, begin to sample some venison. The problem is you're the venison. Brethren, if you are overtaken, if you have been running from sin, but sin has caught up and brought you down. Brethren, if if one of you, one around you is experiencing this, who is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. How's grace function when a brother falls? How do we function in grace? How do we function like Christ? Well, he tells us there's three things about the one who restores. One, he's a brother, a believer. He's saved. Two, he's spiritual. That means he's walking in the spirit. That he's got a life of purpose and a life progressing, growing with the Lord. He's a a brother saved. He's walking in the spirit and he is gentle. He's gentle. If you were that deer dragged down by that wolf and somebody spooked that wolf off and it ran off, how do you want to be cared for? Hey, kick it in the backside. Tell, get up. Let's go. He says, do it in a spirit of gentleness and meekness. Remembering, not self-focused, remembering that I could fall just like him. So what's my attitude? My attitude is one of lifting up my brother. Now listen, don't lose sight. He was running from sin, not into sin. This is where we get confused. In the scripture, we see uh, the picture of restoration in three ways. One of them is in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we are introduced to a man who's living in an incestuous relationship and thinks it's okay. And Paul says, hey, you guys need to deal with that sin and turn that brother over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. So the church officials in Corinth came to that man and said, hey, bro, as long as you're doing this, you can't fellowship here. This is not okay. And so he went out, went out into the world. And we see in 2 Corinthians what happened. In 2 Corinthians, that man came to a place of repentance And Paul says, hey, bring that brother back. Because now, he's in an attitude of repentance and he needs to be restored. Nowhere in that whole series was it the church's job to bring consequences upon a person for sin in their life. How many of you realize that sin brings its own consequence? We don't need anybody to help it. If you are living in a life of sin, sin... It pays wages, right? The wages of sin is death every single time. It will destroy, disrupt, ruin. That's what sin does. We as a body, we don't need to come along and say, well, here's the consequences for what you've done wrong. What we need to do is say, brother, if you're in sin and you think it's okay, you need to go. 
If you're in sin and you're in repentant and you're saying, I'm trying to flee, but the sin is catching up. I'm struggling, I'm falling now in a spirit of gentleness and meekness. We're supposed to lend a hand and help a brother up. Help a sister out. That's the difference. That's the difference between the two. One running into trouble, the other running from. When that attitude is such, as he's reading out here for us in Galatians chapter 6, then we want to restore with gentleness and meekness. Remembering, I can fall too. That word restore is a Greek word to set a bone. To, to, to help bind a brother together. What did Jesus say? I come to bind the broken hearted. I come to set the broken bone. The broken heart. That's what Jesus said. And now he says here in Galatians chapter 6 verse 1. That should be the attitude of the people who come after him. We deny ourselves, Take up our cross and follow Jesus' example. What's that example? Bind up the broken hearted. Be other-centered. Looking for that opportunity. Folks, what do we have to do for weeds to grow in our garden? Yes, perfect. That's exactly what you have to do. Kathy and I, we experimented with gardening this year. Next year, we might actually... I don't think we're ever having a garden, huh? Okay, so this year we experimented with a garden. Here's what we did. Planted a garden and we went on uh, vacation. Anybody have any idea how that worked out? When we come back from vacation, the garden was thriving with weeds. I didn't have to do nothing for weeds to grow. What do you have to do for weeds to grow in your life? Jesus said a sower went out to the field to sow seeds. And as he sowed seeds, in some of the places where that seed was sown, weeds choked out the fruitfulness of the seed. But what do we have to do for weeds to come up in our life? Nothing. Don't have to do nothing. Weeds just grow. So what do we do to take care of those weeds? We have to be diligent. We have to take God's word and apply it to our life. Not to be hearers only, but doers also. Every one of us has experienced someone who you're trying to encourage or trying to help that doesn't want help or doesn't want encouragement. You ever try to to make somebody do something they don't want to do? Yeah, quit. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. We have to ourselves learn to be diligent. We have to ourselves learn to apply these things. Listen, we want to restore. We want to set the bones. Next, what I bear. Look what it says in verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The Greek word for burden there means the burden that is impossible to be carried by one person. That's what that word means. A burden that it's impossible to carry by yourself. He says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You remember the law of Christ? Christ gave a new law, a new commandment I give unto you. You remember? To love, right? What was love? One of the fruit of the Spirit, right? When we walk in the Spirit, what's evident in our life? Love. How will they know you are my disciples? By your 
love one for another? What's the new commandment? The law of Christ? All the law and the prophets are fulfilled in one word. Paul said, what's that one word? Love. Here he says, you want to fulfill the law of Christ? Bear your brother's burden. That thing that he can't carry alone. That thing that she can't seem to get by. What are you to do? Come alongside and shoulder that burden. Strengthen feeble knees and weak arms that hang down. There have been a variety of times in, in Kathy and my life where we've practically had to do that. Where we've gone in and a, and a brother or, or sister overcome by grief or, or dealing with something that was, was unimaginable to them. They cannot possibly have the strength that they need on their own. So we come alongside. What do we do? We pray. What do we do? We support. We put our arms around their shoulders. We encourage. We do everything we can to lift them up. Which of us in this room has the ability to, to change someone else's life just simply by being around them? Every one of us. Every one of us has the opportunity for, for example, you know, we have people within our body who are struggling with, with illness. Now, I'm not a doctor and I can't fix it, but I can pray. And the righteous, the fervent prayer of a righteous man does what? Avails much. So is there a point to prayer? Man, there's a point to prayer. Prayer changes things. I can do that. I can be diligent to come alongside and strengthen a brother or sister in prayer. I can strengthen a brother or sister if they don't have food. I got food. They don't have clothes. I got clothes. What did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 25? One of the things that, that would, he would recognize the people who were about him, he said, listen, when I was hungry, you gave me food. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was in prison, you visited me. And they said, Lord, when did we do this? And Jesus said, when you've done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you've done it to me. And that motivation for loving our brother, reaching out to a sister, helping those who are in need, bear one another's burden and fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. What He's talking about being self-focused here. Starting to just look at myself. Because we can do that. At this time of year, we can get focused on all the hurts, habits, hang-ups, problems, issues in my life. Oh, you wouldn't believe. But what does God want me to focus on? Others. How do I get out of that? By focusing on others. By focusing on what can I do? How can I help? How can I reach out to others? Listen. But let each one examine his own work. And then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. You guys remember this. You understand what this says. Remember when Jesus was telling Peter how he was going to die and the hard things he was going to go through in life? And Peter looked over at John and said, Well, Lord, what about him? Do you remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, Listen, if I want John to have a life of ease until I return... What is that to you? Peter, you follow me. 
He's saying in this verse, don't focus on somebody else's walk. Don't focus on what somebody else is doing. Don't focus on someone else's shortcomings. Look at your own walk. Look at your own experience. You have a walk that is independent of everyone else's with the God of the universe. The God of the universe has a plan specifically for you. He has hurts that you're going to go through that someone else isn't going to go through. He has victories that you're going to experience that other people won't experience. It's your walk. Jesus is saying to you, like he said to Peter, like he says to me, who cares about them? You come and follow me. Because this is your walk. This is your life. This is what the Father has laid out for us. Everybody doesn't get the same. Everybody doesn't experience the same. Everything is not equal. When did we learn that? Like six years old? Seven? When we used to think, remember when we were young and we thought we always won? It's a miracle. I'm like the greatest basketball, football, baseball player ever. Every time I hit the ball, it's a home run. Don't you remember that? Don't you remember when you were little and your dad pitched the ball and you hit it and for some reason he could not catch anything? He'd run after the ball, kick it out in the outfield, and then you'd run all the bases and you're so excited. Ah, you're so excited. But then one day you hit the ball and dad caught it and you were out. What just happened? You mean, I don't always win? Remember that tough lesson? I remember as a parent when my oldest son had to learn that he didn't win everything. And it, the, the, what it actually finally sunk in for him was when his friend said to him, you can't come over anymore. Because you're a big baby, you always got to win. You learn how to lose, you can come play. And he come home all broken hearted. <laughs> Dad, they said I have to learn to l- 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 lose. That's true, son. Nobody always wins. We have to realize that there are things in our life that are disappointments. But there are also things in our life that aren't. It's my walk. It's my journey. Let each one, let each one examine his own work. This is my existence, my walk with the Lord. This is what God is doing in my life. And sometimes he calls us like the Kohathites. Remember we talked about them. The Kohathites of the tribe of Levi, they had to carry everything in the tabernacle on their shoulders. But the guys, the sons of Merari, they had to carry everything in carts. And the Kohathites, they could look over at the the Merariites and say, Hey, what is the deal? God, it's not fair. They got carts. And what would the Lord say to them? Why are you looking at them? You come and follow me. You follow me. This is our walk together. It's our walk together. So not looking at others and and using that to judge our own walk. But listen, in verse 5, and look what he says in verse 5. He says, for each one will bear his own load. Jackie, now I don't know what you're talking about, but he just said to bear one another's burdens. And now he said to bear your own load. Which one is it? Yes. The first one he says, help those brothers bear a burden that is impossible for one person to carry. But here in verse 5 he says, 
But each one needs to carry his own, here's the word, pack. That's what the word for load is. Each one's got to carry his own pack. Folks, the easiest example is this. Let's say that my car breaks down and I got to get my kids to school and my neighbor says, hey man, I can help you out. And he comes alongside and he takes my kids to school. He's, he's helping to bear the burden, something I can't solve. But I should not expect him to take over all my father, fatherly responsibilities for my children. That's my pack. Those are my responsibilities. Those are, those are mine. So there are things within our lives. There are those things that God calls us to shoulder. It's a pack. It's not an uncarryable burden. That's the difference in the words. This is a responsibility that God has given us. A thing that we need to shoulder. Not everybody's pack is the same. Do you know that? Not everybody has the same load. Not everybody carries that same load the same way. Some people spend all their time complaining about the load they got to carry. But if I do that, where am I focused? On self. There comes a time when you just got to throw the pack on and say, let's go. I haven't been walking. I'm falling behind. I'm sliding down the hill. I want to get up the hill. So he lays out for him. listen, each one will will bear his own load, carry that own, his own backpack. I will bear that responsibility. And then he says, let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Now this is kind of a cool thing because just about every commentary you look at and every note on this verse, all of a sudden the, the, the focus of the chapter changes from looking at a brother who stumbled and fallen and, and helping him up and, and bearing burdens to paying the preacher. Because this what it says is make sure you pay your preacher. Now, does that seem like that fits there? I mean, hey, I don't mind the preacher being paid. Don't get me wrong. But I think what he's talking about here is that we begin to share. Remember I told you it's, it's how you care, what you bear, and what you share. What you share, you share. The word koinonia, that fellowship. We're going to have koinonia tonight where we're going to have a time of fellowship. We're going to share a meal together. We're going to share time together. What he's saying is when you come along with a brother and you help him out and you bear his burden... You're sharing with him something that he is going to share with others. And they're going to share that with somebody else. And they're going to share that. And it keeps moving forward. The one who came alongside and shared that word with you. Let's say a brother's stumbled. He's fallen. And another brother comes alongside. And he says, hey, man, I really want to help you out. Let's get together a couple times a week. And I'm going to help encourage you in this. And so they get together. And they pray. And they read the word. And and he tries to encourage them. And that brother reaches a point as he progresses where suddenly he's not overtaken by that sin anymore. And now he's looking for another brother to say, hey. You know, brother, I see that you're struggling with this issue. Let's spend some time together. And he begins to share what was given to him. And he begins to share what was given to him. And he begins to share. When we learn to stay focused 
on others, when our eyes are on what we can do for others and how we can affect others, the beautiful thing is your eyes are, are, are concerned with how you can help others and others' eyes are concerned with how they can help you. And the body comes together and meets the needs that one another have in their life. It encourages one another and it's healthy and it's thriving. And that's what Paul's saying. As soon as you throw legalism and you say, hey, you know, just do this, do this, do this, do this, and you're going to be fine. Take this class, fill out these papers, poof, you're changed from the inside out. That's not what the Word teaches. The Word teaches the Spirit is going to change us from the inside out. And we, we ought to share. We ought to share, have in common with others the things that other people have taught us. What they've shown us in the Word. Every one of us who's come along spiritually has had someone in our life who poured into us. Don't we? Now, we can be like the Dead Sea and just have them pour into us and have no life come out. Or we can be like the Sea of Galilee and have the water come in and water go out. Someone poured into me, I need to pour into somebody else. And I need to pour into somebody else. I can't meet every single person in church's need. But the person sitting next to them, that friend, that person who has been poured into, they can pour into their brother. They can pour in to that sister. They can pour into that family. And we can bear one another's burdens and share together with him who has taught us the word. We share that also. We take that out. Then he says, listen, guys, don't be deceived. You're not going to fool God. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he reap. It's a law. It's a law, physical law in the world. What you sow, you reap, right? If I plant an apple seed, I am going to grow an apple tree. If I plant an apple seed, I'm not going to get an orange tree. I'm not going to get a banana tree. I'm going to get an apple tree. Same thing spiritually. Listen, what do you sow? When a brother is overtaken in trespass, when he's fallen, do you sow rejoicing in that iniquity? Do you rejoice that a brother's fallen or that there's a stumbling? Do you rejoice that somebody got theirs or, or something like that? Because that's what you're sowing. What are you going to reap in your life? You ever had that person that'll come alongside you and they'll, they'll talk to you about somebody else? Do you really think when you're not there, they're not talking about you? If you really think that, I have a house to sell you in California <laughs> for twice what it's worth. Come see me after service. Listen, if someone is with you talking about someone else, they are talking about you to somebody else what you sow you reap if i sow into someone's life when a brother falls if i sow love if i sow compassion if i sow love joy peace long suffering goodness gentleness meekness and self-control what am i going to reap in my life love joy peace that's what i'm going to reap If I so, I remember Pastor Gerald used to say, if you're serving every Sunday afternoon roasted preacher for lunch, 
don't be blown away when the time comes and your kids are like, I don't have nothing to do with church, man. That's dumb. That's just stupid. What have you sown? What you sow, you'll reap. God's not mocked. He wants us to understand what we sow. What we sow, we'll reap. If you sow legalism, what are you going to reap? Legalism. Think about it. Think of an example of legalism in the Bible. Perfect example. There's this young woman caught in the act of adultery, right? The scripture says, caught in the very act. And they drag her before Jesus. And what do the legalists want to do to her? Kill her. And what did Jesus say? He who is without sin, throw the first stone. Who threw a stone? Nobody. Who was without sin? Nobody. Oh, except for him. What did he tell her? Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. He gave grace. He gave grace. We want to sow grace. We want to sow those things in our life. But listen, he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. When we're walking in the flesh, when we're walking in the old man, we're sowing seeds to the old man, who's going to control everything? The old man. If you're feeding the old man 24-7, then when that moment of decision comes, guess how you're going to answer? Like the old man. But if I sow to the Spirit, I will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. When I am feeding the Spirit, not, not the carnal man, when I'm feeding, I'm, I'm walking in the Spirit, right? I am progressing. I have a, a reason, a purpose in my life. I'm showing love to the brethren, reaching out to the brothers and sisters in, in Christ, restoring those who need restored. When I do those things, then we're going to see everlasting life. I love the 23rd Psalm, Lord's my shepherd, shall not want. Do you remember how that, that ends? And goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. What's he saying? If you look in the wake of my life, what you're going to see, the seeds I'm planting, goodness and mercy. What's the other thing we know about planting? Fruit doesn't come immediately, does it? If it did, our garden would have succeeded. We'd have threw the seeds, poof, everything would have come. We could have harvested it all right there and then went on vacation and everything would have been good. But we know when we sow, there's a process, right? We sow the seed and there's a period of time that we wait, that we tend, that we care. Why have people come to me, Jackie, I've been so in love and I don't have any love yet. Well, wait. Give it time. Give it time. What does the scripture say to us? Look what he says. Let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Just keep sowing. Just keep sowing. I'm reminded of Jeremiah. You guys know Jeremiah? You might know a Jeremiah. There's a Jeremiah in the Bible who was a prophet. And everybody hated him. 
His whole ministry, everybody hated him. If he said, guys, the enemy is coming down from the hill. Don't pick up a sword. Just go with him and buy houses and live and live your days out in peace. That's what God's plan is for you. You know what the people did? They grabbed swords and they tried to fight and they all died. And Jeremiah's shaking his head. Nobody will listen to me. Nobody's hearing what I say. But what did the Lord tell Jeremiah? Jeremiah, just keep sowing. Just keep sowing. There is going to come a crop. The crop will come. Just keep sowing. In the book of Isaiah, what does the Lord say? When the word of God is sown, will it come back void? No, the word of God is always going to accomplish what it was sent to do. Let the word of God do that work. Keep sowing. Don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. There will be a time of reaping. Ecclesiastes says there's a time to sow and there's a time to harvest. We can't lose heart while we're sowing. We've got to keep heart. Continue to do those things which God's called us to do. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are the household of faith. That means don't kill your own people. Everybody's experienced that in church. Oh, yeah, this church, and, and I've done something wrong, and they just come and shot me. I was wounded, and they just left me behind. We're not supposed to shoot our wounded. What are we supposed to do? As long as there's that attitude of repentance, restore. Lift up a brother. Especially in the household of faith. Jesus said, they'll know you're my disciples by your love for one another. Each other in the house of God. When we love one another here, people want to be a part. If we are devouring one another, like he said in chapter 5, nobody wants to come. Everybody's always talking. Talking about people. Talking, hey... We want to be those people who are known for their love, one for another. Then he goes on in verse 11. Now, see with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. Now he said, he, he, normally Paul, most people when they wrote at that time, they would, they would speak it and it would be written down by a secretary. Now Paul's going to go take the pen from the secretary and he's writing in caps. He says, look, this is important. I'm writing this with my own hand. I want you not to miss this point. I want you not to miss what I am saying as he's closing out this letter. He says, As many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these will compel you to circumcise. Only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For not even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they might boast in your flesh. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Paul says, listen, I don't want you to miss this. There are people there who are trying to get you to go through this list of do's and don'ts to be circumcised and say then everything's okay. And Paul says that they don't even keep the whole law. They just don't want to be persecuted. Folks, at this time, number one persecution in the church was coming from Jews. The number one persecution in the church was coming from Jews. Well, we can stop that persecution if we'll just keep the law. They won't persecute us anymore. 
Yeah, but, but the law you, doesn't do any good for you. It's making a compromise like the, the church in Pergamos. In the, in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, we read about the church of Pergamos. What did they do? They, they were the church that had its mixed marriage. They welcomed in those who had the doctrine of the Nicolaitans into the church. They welcomed in this concept just to make compromise. Well, what is it that, that they're trying to do here? They're just trying to avoid persecution. Well, sometimes, guys, there's, there's no other place to stand. Where are you going to stand? Are you going to stand on the Lord's side or are you going to compromise so nobody can tell? Because I promise you, no one will care about your faith as long as you keep your faith a secret and you don't stand up for those things for which Christ calls you to stand. Nobody has a problem with you having faith. Nobody has a problem with you being spiritual. They have a problem with the cross of Christ. They have a problem with you declaring that there's nothing they can do to make themselves right with God, but they have to come by faith to Jesus Christ and receive the gift of grace to be saved. They have a problem with that. Paul says, I won't boast in what I've done. He wrote 13 books in the Bible. You think he'd have something to boast about, right? I haven't written any books in the Bible. Paul wrote 13. He says, I have nothing to boast about. Except the cross of Christ. Except what Jesus Christ has done. Not what I do, what he did. Not what I can do, what he's already accomplished. The finished work of Jesus Christ, where our faith and trust lie. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but what? A new creation. New creation. Doesn't matter circumcised or uncircumcised, baptized or unbaptized. Doesn't matter. All that matters is have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? If so, you are a new creation. The old man was crucified with Christ, it tells us in the book of Romans. It lays out that he was crucified with Christ. And we are to reckon him dead. He has no power in our life. What can a dead man do? Not very much. The Bible says reckon the old man dead. How can we who have been set free from sin live any longer in it? I don't want to be that. I'm not that person anymore. I am a new creation. I am a new creation. Because of what I did? Because I I wear these spiffy clothes? Because I play guitar and, and, and sing? Because I preach a message? Why? What? No, because of the cross of Christ. That's all. Because Jesus Christ paid the price for me, died and rose again to proclaim from the from the rooftops. You've been set free. Just come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you lots of work to do. (laughs) Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The yoke of Jesus Christ fits. 
I've shared before with a lot of guys. Listen, if you're serving the Lord, you're not burnt out. If you're serving in the flesh, you get burnt out. If you're looking at what other people are doing, you get burnt out. If you're wanting to know, how come somebody's not here at cleaning the church with me? Or, or how come, the, just the other day I was cleaning the church, Jackie walked in, didn't say thanks, didn't do anything. What a knucklehead. I'm not cleaning the church no more. He's unthankful and ungrateful. Well, first, sorry if I did that. Second, what are you doing it for? For the proclamation of Jackie? That's not going to get you very far. Are you doing it because you love Christ? The love of Christ compels me. Why do we do what we do? We love Jesus. Why do we lift up a brother? Because that's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus did to me. Didn't he do that for you? When we were dead in trespasses and sin, what did Christ do? He died for me. When we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Not because I was so holy and righteous, but because I was messed up. And I want to look like my dad. I want to look, I want to have family resemblance, right? So, so when I do things, I want to do things like Christism. I, I want to come during Christmas and remember, remember the beauty of the greatest gift that was ever given. That God so loved the world that he gave. Gave. The best he had to give, he gave. Now, and as many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon you and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. I got family resemblance. What was Paul pointing to when he said, I bear in my body the marks? Scars? Pain? But why did Paul have to go through that? Why was Paul stoned left for dead? Why was he beaten with rods five times? Why was he whipped? Why did he suffer? I'm sure in those times when Paul suffered, he cried out for God. Where was God when he suffered? I bear in my marks, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about Jesus for a minute. On the cross, you remember his words? Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22, be thou, be thou not far from me, O Lord. All my joints are dislocated, and I thirst. The bowls of Bashan, they encircle me, and they gape their mouths at me, and they're making comments toward me, God. They're saying things toward me. Don't be far from me, Lord. When Jesus was on the cross, where was God? He was on the cross. Some things have to happen to make you who you are. 
What made Paul who he was? The fellowship of suffering. What makes me who I am? The things I've gone through. What makes you who you are? The things you've suffered. With Christ, we have a promise. You know what that promise is? For we know all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Without God, what promise do we have? None. There was a mom and dad, they had a son whom they loved. Beautiful, beautiful young child. And, and this young child, he, he kept getting sick. And they took him to the doctor. And, and the doctor said to this young couple, Hey, guys, um, your son has heart disease. And, and unless we find a transplant, your, your son, he's, he's going to die. We won't be able to save him. And so that, that mom and dad, they began to pray. But, but how do you do that, by the way? How do you pray... For a transplant for your baby. Where does that transplant come from? A couple weeks later. Mom and dad driving down the road. Getting in an accident. Their young baby in the back seat. Was hurt. Rushed to the hospital. The doctor comes out and says to this mom and dad. I'm sorry. I can't save your baby. Your baby is going to die. There's nothing we can do. But, but your baby's death doesn't have to be meaningless. There's another baby waiting for a heart. If you're willing, we can put that heart into this other child. Oh, mom and dad wept and cried and signed the paper. And they asked, can we stay until the surgery's done so we know everything worked out okay? And the doctor said, well, yeah, of course, you can stay. And so they waited, and, and that, that surgery was a success. And a doctor came to them and said, listen, I'm sorry that your baby is gone, but your baby's heart saved this other child. And so there was some comfort for the mom and, and some comfort for the dad. But the mom asked the doctors, could, could we meet the parents of the baby that... that we gave the heart for? Yeah. Sure. So they get together, and, and of course, that, those parents are ecstatic. All of a sudden, instantly, you're bound together by the fellowship of suffering, right? And they're at the same time mourning and, and, and rejoicing for one another, hugging each other. And, and, and the mom asks a, a, an interesting thing of the, of the mother whose child lived. She said, could, could I go see your son? Could I just, for a moment, come into the room just one time? Could I lay down my head on your son and hear my son's heartbeat? Well, of course, the mom said, yeah, come. And she went in and she laid her head down. And she heard her baby's heart. Don't you know? God wants to lay his head on your chest. And hear his son's 
heartbeat. Is it there? Do you look like your father? Do you bear that family resemblance? Hey, if, if, if you're struggling that, it's okay. We all struggle in that. Just remember the words of Jesus. We must deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. And look for an opportunity to be like Jesus. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we come before you this morning, Lord Jesus, as we even as we come to this time to, to celebrate the greatest gift ever given is as you gave unto us your Son, the greatest thing that heaven ever knew became flesh, came as a baby, needed to nurse to be changed, to be cared for. You came, Lord God, to show us that example. This is what God requires. You can't keep the law yourself. So I will die and give you the spirit that you might keep the law of Christ. Love one another. God, may we repent of our selfishness and look for an opportunity to let our heart beat with your heart. To let our voice speak with your voice. To let our actions be those which you would do. Father, that we would follow your example. That we would bear the marks in our body of the Lord Jesus Christ. When people see us, may they see you. It's never... It's never more important than, than right now, today. Today is the day of salvation. Right now is an opportunity. Today there are people sitting beside us that are hurting, that are overtaken in trespasses, in sin, and, and need a brother to come alongside and help shoulder that burden. They need someone to come alongside and, and show that they care. When all the world is shouting, kill her. You were saying, go and sin no more. So may we speak with your voice. When the time to confront comes, God, give us the boldness that we need by your spirit to stand for you, clear, so people don't wonder what we stand for. But when one of our own is hurting... May we have your compassion, Lord. Your compassion that would walk over to the door, pick up a basin of water, clothe yourself with a towel, and wash the feet of the one who would betray you in a couple of hours. 
Let us be other-centered, Lord. Be done with this idea that we can create within us a new creation by what we do and realize that new creation comes by who we know and who we trust. May we trust in you, Lord. And may you continue to be everything we need. And may we not get lost in all the chaos of the season, but rather, Lord, let us reflect you. Let us bear in our bodies the mark of Christ. May we be branded as you were branded. May we be treated as you were treated. May we be known as you were known. Father, we lay this time before you and ask that you would just move among us, Lord. In a powerful way, God, may your people share in common together fellowship, fruit, work, love. We lay this time before you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to close in a time of worship. We invite you guys to to hang out and worship with us. Please, don't forget about tonight, 4 o'clock. Also, don't forget what Anna shared with you. If you'd like to be a part of helping some families uh, receive gifts that they aren't able to do for Christmas, and you'd like to be a part of that, see Anna, and she'll get you that information. Very importantly, make sure you have a Merry Christmas. God bless you guys.